under your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jimmy Clark. thriller we're coming into, but I found this last night. It's a dude on YouTube called Dr. Mix. And he is playing every part of the song. Recreating the song faithfully. With the original as close as possible instruments. So the synthesizers Quincy Jones and the producers use, the mini Moog, the Lindrum machine, the Rhodes piano. Just no Michael vocal, because who can recreate that? <laughs> the horn parts. And it's so good hearing it like this sparse and just the music put together like that. It makes you really appreciate. Because a lot of the, like the guitar parts and some of the synth parts really aren't that tough. The parts that are really tough are Michael's vocal, and then also... He plays each instrument uh, in separate videos by themselves to explain to you what he's doing. The and, Rhodes piano and is the, very tough. The talk over, yeah, is pretty strong. And I don't, I don't know the words to it. I would do it if I knew oh, like the, the words. Oh, like the yeah. Vincent Price, Vincent Price deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good stuff. But it just, it's so cool what's happening these days. Like people. Music-wise, like I just saw an article, Montgomery. There's apparently some big producer here. He doesn't live here anymore. He now lives in Shanghai, China. Wow. But he was visiting Montgomery for two, three weeks here in the summer. And he ended up being fully booked by a lot of the hip-hop artists here in the city. So you just never know where it's going to come from. But uh, what a classic song. It's just so, so good. Welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. We got Southern Wood in here. Off air, he was arguing. Michael Jackson is the goat. You're not getting an argument from me. No. He is the king of pop. He is. I, the guy really is amazing. And I, going back to the Jackson 5 even, like he was, in my opinion, the reason the Jackson 5 was so good. Like the kid <laughs> yeah. just had it. It was the Jackson 4 and Michael. Right. Uh, well, the last Jackson 5 album... Is so darn good. I think people forget. That's the one that has Shake Your Body to the Ground. It has Blame It on the Boogie. It's the album Destiny. It's so good. It's right before Michael broke out as a solo artist. And it's unreal, like, the quality of music these guys are putting out. He was something else. And I I know your love for Prince. Sure. And I I, I know, and and I I share that. Yeah. I, I like Prince. Well, I mean, people Prince do, is one of the greatest ever. Well, and this is a classic comparison battle people do. But the greatest ever is Michael Jackson. I mean, he, I mean, whatever you think about his lifestyle and what happened sure. to him and all that stuff, I mean, put all that aside, Michael Jackson was the greatest ever. I mean, no doubt. What say you, Eddie? I can't argue with that. I, used to, <clears throat> I was a big Michael Jackson fan back from off the wall. Right. right I mean, right. Yeah. Like when it was off vital. the wall's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's hard to and, it's hard to beat him. And the, and the thing that makes him great is he went from the seventies 
mm-hmm. to the 80s, to, to the, the 90s, 90s yep. to the thousands, yep. mm-hmm. even. I and mean, if you, look at, if you look at his records, as the people say, I mean, he, he changed himself without changing himself. If that right. makes any sense to you. Well, and I listened to the other day. Uh, I think he is by far up there. You know, it, this is all subjective, folks. But I think in just terms of vocalist, Michael Jackson is... Dynamite. Though what I listened to, and it was great, and I bet you I could find it, is somebody had the isolated vocal tracks of Michael Jackson, and they put them up next to Freddie Mercury, Mercury isolated vocal tracks. I mean, two he, of the greatest... He, he was another mm-hmm. one. And but Michael's more of I think a, a R&B. He could do more than well, I don't even want to say that because Freddie's so good. You reach such a level of how good you are. Like it's tough to even. It's whatever day and whatever mood I'm in. Look here, Joey. Michael invented words. <laughs> I mean that's not a word. But we all know that when we hear that, we think. Michael Jackson. Very much in the tradition of James Brown. Yeah, but look at Freddie Mercury now. Freddie Mercury was openly gay. Mm-hmm. And and as far as I remember, one of the first openly gay... Was he, though? Yeah, you remember uh, radio that song Radio Gaga? Yeah, but that's a little later. Was he early on, was Freddie... I mean, he played the part, and it was obvious, but right. like... Was he it, it more left to be discovered by people or yeah, asked? Yeah, well, and that be being that. the time that, you know, during that time, during the 70s and stuff, I don't think people could openly come out as, as gay and still be accepted. Sure. <clears throat> but he sure did live the lifestyle. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think the thing about uh, Eddie Mercury. Or Freddie. Freddie, uh, Freddie Mercury. I, did I we're not talking Eddie? about <laughs> Eddie Murphy. Party all the time. Party well, my, hey, that was a really good <laughs> album. I hate to be one of those idiots, I, but I bought a fun that album. album yeah. <laughs> I said that the other night. <laughs> But anyhow, I, I really think you've got a really great point is that people kind of, th- the music was so freaking good yeah. that they kind of started accepting that, okay, well, he's different than me, but the music is really, really good. And, and he was, I'm telling you, he's dynamite. And have you seen the movie Bohemian Rhapsody? Yes. Have you seen that movie? movie? Yes. Yeah. If you watch that movie and you I think it, it it's really a great movie because mm-hmm. it it portrays his life and what he went through and it doesn't get bogged down right. into I'm a gay guy and I'm you know I'm going to be over here you know doing something yeah. you know it, it touches on that but it doesn't it's not it doesn't dwell on it yeah exactly and but it it lends you to when you hear the songs, when you hear We Are the Champions, when you hear uh, Radio Gaga, you hear those songs that he had written, mm-hmm. and you can feel what's inside him, yeah. and you're like... Oh, yeah, you feel the passion. Yeah. Well, they did a great you job know, with that. He the... had, uh, you know, an issue with with this thing and this mm-hmm. thing, and I'm telling you... <laughs> Well, it did a great job in the movie, and this is why I think it succeeded. It took the music, and it told the story of Freddie Mercury's relationship, number one, with the first love of his life, Mary. Right. And then his descent into kind of fame, uh, where he is, he has all these opportunities, and he's exploring his sexuality, and they do it, I think, tastefully. Um, but then his relationship with his with Mary, his relationship with his parents and his family, his mm-hmm. relationship with the band, and exactly. how he kind of fell out with Mary, with his parents, with the band, and then he has this incredible redemptive moment, again, with the music. They recreate Live Aid perfectly, yeah. that and performance. He, and so he good. comes back to his lover, and yeah. it's, it's, it's not, it, like you just said, it's not overboard where no. it's just dudes, you know, doing that. No, it's not it's, about the, the sex and the drugs. It's about the relationships. Relationship. It's about a real loving exactly. like, relationship. Yeah, it, it's such a good movie. Uh, and I haven't seen the Elton John movie yet. That's what though. I want to see. That's the next. I, I've heard that it's visually stunning. That they kind of go over the top on purpose when the performances happen, where it's a little fantastical and yeah. uh, not like real life. So I, I haven't seen it though. I but, just haven't. Now back to Michael Jackson. To me, he is the goat. There is no oh, greater. Yeah. No, uh, none. I remember and this is a sad story, but I remember there was about six of us guys in our very early twenties one time hanging out in a, an apartment we shared, two bedroom apartment. <clears throat> anyway, we watched a Michael Jackson concert, and it was the current one at the time. It was probably mid-90s. 
And at one point, we were all so into that concert, a slow song came on. I can't even tell you which one it was. Mm. But I look over, three of my buddies are wiping tears out of their eyes. They were so <laughs> attached. And this was a television concert. Man in the Not, Mirror, maybe? That might have been it. That's an incredible yeah. song. And it was just, so, it, that moment was just surreal as I looked around at those well, guys. And I'm, well, these are it, hard men. And, and that's the thing about music. When it moves you to emotion, yeah. that you can feel what they're singing, then... They have done their job. Exactly right. Exactly. You know. Well, I want to come back because I don't think it is a fair... They're big pop stars in the 80s. Uh, And Prince really was on top of the world after Purple Rain. Uh, Number one movie, number one album, number one single. um, And just dominated the charts for the rest of the 80s along with Michael and stuff. But uh, here's why I think the comparison's unfair. Michael is, I think, a better vocalist, but Michael is working with Quincy Jones. He's Michael is working with, I can't, what is the guy's name, Gilganus? Or, he's working with this keyboardist that is an incredible keyboardist. Yeah, the Brothers Johnson on many albums. Yeah. And he's not putting out album after album after album, year after year after year. Like I said, I just, I've been telling folks, I've just read this book on Prince's studio sessions. From, I'll, I'll put it this way, though. There's a moment, it's a concert James Brown is doing. You can find it online. And James Brown invites Michael Jackson to come up on stage. And Michael is right there in the groove. He's been doing this since he was a kid. He studied James Brown. So Michael, it's a man's world. That's the song they're doing. Mm -hmm. And Michael does a verse on it, just kills it. Uh, like better, you know, it's hard to have a better vocal than James Brown, and Michael has a better vocal than James Brown. Sure. And then he does, like, tells the band to go faster, and they go into this kind of funky breakdown groove. Michael starts spinning and doing the moonwalk, all this stuff. And then Michael whispers something into James Brown's ear. You can hear him. And James Brown goes, Oh, Prince is here. Hey, Prince, come on, come on up here, Prince. Prince, come on. And Prince comes up there, and you can tell this is like 82. It was before Purple Rain. And you can tell Prince is very, very nervous. And he's used to being in control. So what, right. he, what he does is he grabs a guitar from one of the players and just kind of strums for a little bit. Then he does a weird scream and kind of copies James, like doing the split and flipping the microphone around. And then he kind of walks away. And as he's walking away, he thinks he can support himself on this, like, it looks like a light pole, like a classic light pole, and it's not hooked to the stage, and he falls into the sta- into the crowd. Wow. It's this embarrassing moment. Well, in that time period, 83, now two years later, Prince is growing up. At that time, the guy was like 24. Mm-hmm. He's now grown up. with From the period of 83, January 83 to the end, December of 84, the guy crafts 100 songs. And not just writes them, is playing every instrument on those 100 songs. And which include the tracks on Purple Rain, plus all of Sheila E's songs, all the Time songs, all these, oh gosh, all these songs that would be, then be on the follow-up album, like Raspberry Beret, all these things. So it's a different type of thing. I think Michael Jackson is the GOAT, the best performer, had some of the best songs that were just well-crafted by this team of musical geniuses. You can't overstate how brilliant Quincy Jones is. But then Prince is this sort of like punk, I'm going to do it myself artist. It's a different thing. So I think Michael clearly takes the cake. He's the king of pop. I won't deny that. But it's just it's well, different. I think he had a bit this is why a, music is fun. He had a bit of an advantage, too. Now, Michael Jackson had been in the business in the business for mm-hmm. how long? Prince had to break into the business. Right. So right. Cool. And, well, and it's a whole, whole thing. But here, Ann's called in. Ann, what's up? Hi, Joey. I just wanted to put forth this concept, okay? Michael Jackson had a lot of different parts to his capability. A lot of different parts. Yeah. Putting them together into that one performer is what made him great. If you separated out the parts, the one that he had that was above and beyond every other one, undeniably, for forever or anywhere... His choreography. He was absolutely the best choreographer the world has ever seen. If you could split his voice off by itself and put it in some other performer that couldn't do the other things he could do, they would have been great. But they would not have been as good as he is. It's the, 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 the combination that made him the king of pop. Right. 
not one particular thing. The one particular thing he had better than everybody else undeniably was choreography. And he beat everybody. Yeah, and even right before he passed, when he's doing you know rehearsals for that uh, tour he's going to go on, they said you, there was the behind-the-scenes stuff. He was still right there with it. And you're right, there's no second to none. Uh, when it came to his dancing ability and his ability to teach other people that stuff. And he musically, he was so intuitive. He couldn't play every instrument like a prince or like a lot of the studio musicians he worked right. with. But what he would do is use his voice and his vocal to go, here's what I kind of want this to sound like. And he had been around music so long, he knew he knew everything. Very. It's kind of like James Brown. He didn't play every instrument, but James knew every instrument. They're all drums. And he had the capacity <laughs> to bring people together to do the things that he envisioned. Yes. That's important, too. But, I, I mean, I just, I really believe that any one of his talents separated off from him, the person that had those talents would not have been as great as he ended up being with that huge mass of talent all in one person. Right. I could not That's agree with you anymore than what you just said. You put it so eloquently. I mean, that is perfect. <laughs> I mean, that is... And, yeah, I mean, despite any despite any detractors from him, you can't take away what was good as well as yeah. whatever detractors. Amen. That's right. you got to give him his props as well as any negative. Leave all that crap to the side. Well, and there's... And I, I'm but not as even... an entertainer, he yeah. was absolutely perfect. And I also, number one, I'm not convinced that all that documentary that recently accused Michael Jackson again of doing all that stuff, I don't I, believe the director it. actually no. pulled off some of that, and HBO pulled it off their streaming service. So I don't necessarily buy all these allegations against Michael Jackson. But I'll put it this way, for the sake of argument. If those allegations are true, it's horrible, but it's different than, like, say, Bill Cosby. Uh, like, you can figure this out, say, about Michael Jackson. He did these things. I don't think he did, once again. But right. say he did. You can still look at the performances and the music, and it's still almost removed from just who he was as a human being. It's like he is this otherworldly talent. Whereas Bill Cosby is so intimate. Like, who he is is so intimate to his art, to the comedy he did, to mm -hmm. the TV show he did, to where you can't even watch the Cosby show anymore without throwing up in your mouth. It, it's a I tend to look thing. at it differently. Hmm. I tend to look at it. You can't. You can't separate the good things that a person can do away from them just because they do something wrong. That's, they that's still did this other thing. They yeah. still did this amazing thing, even if they did a wrong thing. Maybe they did do a wrong thing. Maybe they didn't do a wrong thing. But you can't separate the talent away oh, yeah. from them and say, no, no, because they did this wrong thing. All this other stuff doesn't matter, and it's bad, and we have to throw it away. That's, that's just not realistic. Well, and I, I agree with you there. And Good point. Also, the reason, I, I think the reason you love a piece of music or you love a certain thing, it shouldn't be because, oh, the person has great character. It's like oh, you, you relate to the music. No, it's because the it's music's the music. amazing. Right. You would hope the person's a good person. Uh, it's kind of like with star athletes. I don't, I don't understand where this came from. Where like a great football player, or baseball player, has to be like this epitome of human character and virtue as well, which you would want in a person that's respected and idolized. But it's not always the case, and people exactly are right. complicated and messy. To your point, and where they're capable of amazing things, and sometimes they have their wealth or sins. But just because a person does something amazing doesn't make him an angel. I mean, right. you know, oh yeah, it's, certainly it, not. Yeah, no, I appreciate the call, Ann. Not a problem, guys. Have a good have night. Good I didn't expect to go on for 20 minutes about Michael Jackson and Prince. I just found that Dr. Mix thing. That was really good. That guy is incredible for him to recreate that um, almost like perfect sound. He's a very talented guy. Yeah, and you know, Ann's call just reminded me. It's, it's what my mother always said. And, you know, you and I have talked about Mama uh, yeah. in the past, Joey. And, and that's what she always said about Michael Jackson was she felt sorry for him. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're talking about the most famous person in the world. Lonely. I mean, in 1989, 1990, 1991, the, yeah, he couldn't go anywhere. Right. And and Mama would always say, "Is I feel sorry for him. And I said, Mama, why, why do you feel sorry for Michael Jackson? He's the most <laughs> famous person in the world. She says, because he's the most famous person in the world. Right. And she's like, I mean, he can't go anywhere. He can't go out with his children. He can't do anything and you know he was 
13 years old when he became a big star. His daddy, you know, they forced him into Mm -hmm. this, and and he was in this industry, you know, from 13, 14, 15, and he never had a childhood. And that's why he built the... Neverland. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Neverland. I mean, I remember... That's why... I mean, he was trying to regain his childhood. Right. And be a child again. Yeah. And I really, I I kind of hold on to that side of, I mean, there's two different sides you can go with Michael. He was a pedophile or he was just a dude that was a 13-year-old in a 30-year-old's body. That's what I believe. Well, I just, I can't, and I guess it's just me and human nature. I have such a hard time grasping that somebody that I could appreciate that much and, and be fooled by if he really was a pedophile because I just cannot see that side of him. I'm like you, Clay. I think he was a a 30 year old person man trying to live his childhood and if nothing else, live it through the kids that were coming just so they could get the joy. I could relate with that. Well, and again, this is a, a key thing. His image, great point. Eddie. His image was so carefully crafted, not just by him but by his handlers. Yeah, and which restrained his freedom in a lot of Big ways. Time, you yeah. think somebody that famous with that much money could add, do whatever they wanted? Nah. Uh, no, he was very he was that. very restricted. Not to the case where like people he fell in love with were run off by yep. his his management. These sorts of things. It uh, it is um, a weird irony uh, of all people. Neil Peart for Rush wrote you know the Limelight. It's a great yeah. song about that. Uh, what is it? Living in the Limelight, the Universal Dream. Those who wish to be. Uh, no, I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, the gilded cage is the word that comes up to me, that you really are in a cage in the spotlight. But I want to shift gears here real quick, because we were talking about, it is a classic duel, like Michael Jackson versus Prince, and it's a lot of fun. You put, like, bad up against, like, a door. Oh, oh a door, I think, wins that fight. But uh, I think it wins that fight. Uh-huh. I think other Michael songs, you know, a Thriller is hard to beat. I think Thriller actually is a better album than Purple Rain. I can't believe I just said that, but I, I think Thriller I, is. I think thr- Thriller gets you because of the video. Right. If it wasn't for the video, right. it would just be it would be a really good song. Mm-hmm. But the video that was like in the. I mean, that was like in the beginning of MTV's of heyday. MTV, right. Right. Yeah. right. And it was like. Oh my God! You know, uh, Thriller's fixing to come up in three songs. Oh, that's right. And you would sit there and watch, you know, three sucky songs Mm -hmm. and videos just to see Thriller. Right. I mean, that's what you were looking for. Well, and the zombies and all. I mean, I mean, that was such a a production. It was just a great thing, man. And that's the thing about Michael Jackson. I mean, he was he was not just about singing. No. Which he, he it was I mean, the performance. Yeah, he's a whole great artist. singer. Yeah, well, and it really, he does a great performance. But it was about the production. Well, and it's, even down to and if you look at artists, videos. if you look at artists today, like the big pop artists, the three artists of Michael Jackson, Prince, and Madonna kind of set the format. How you do huge stage shows. Oh, how yeah. you how you sell yourself to the masses with video. Madonna. Yeah. yeah, Madonna was no, and Madonna people were guessing it. When Prince, really? Prince started doing his real over-sexual thing, he I was talking to people behind the scenes saying, and he wanted to create it for himself with one of his side projects, like Sheila E. or something like that. But yeah. he said, somebody, <laughs> hey, oh my God. somebody's going to come around and do what I'm doing as a man, but as a the woman. Female, yeah. And they're going to have more freedom because they're a woman to do these things. Very and a year later, Madonna comes Aha! Uh-huh. I couldn't stand that. Oh. I got so sick of that video. No, greatest video ever. But a year no, after, ever. first video maybe, but no. But a year no. after, greatest ever. A year after <laughs> they are, uh, they're <laughs> essentially talking about a female version of me will come along. Madonna comes out with like a virgin, like a virgin, and she. I mean, she's those three: MJ, Prince, Madonna. I think are the these huge pop stars and I don't think we've had anything like it since like we have Taylor Swift we have Katy Perry we have all these big stars but they're actually very intimate with their audiences they have all this behind the scenes stuff where these three from the 80s had this mystique because you didn't really know their personal lives well, you don't know and they stuff. had to, they were the originators they had to get it mm-hmm. out there a lot and, of these people are just kind of following suit now and, and I think part of that is you had to be on MTV to get it out there very true right and now 
you can just make a YouTube video <laughs> or an Instagram live video. That's yeah, exactly, exactly right. But you know, and it's it's out there, and and different people see it. So it's uh, the the market, the market's the same, but the the. Well, and there are more options What's now too. What's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, options. There's so many more options. As you can see it on Instagram, you mm-hmm. can see it on YouTube, platforms, you can see it. media, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Where, I mean, there's there's had, so well, many about out there. Uh, Old Town Road, Lil Nas X. I mean, now that's that, just pure online promotion yep. that gets because the all these stations, all these big music companies, and like the corporate radio stations didn't want to play they him. Would have never played him, but it, it was by popular demand. Right. Like, put well, this on there. Look, dude, his hat is matted black. His boots are black to match. I mean, come on. What else you want? Now, I want to get into something different, though, because, you know, we can talk about the Prince-MJ duel all day. It's fun to do. So love to do a show on song. Well, And, for instance, their, their duel, their personal relationship, Prince and Michael Jackson, was a weird one because Prince actually, it just came out uh, in June, originals. He wrote this original demo. Wouldn't you love to love me? Mm-hmm. He wrote Prince wrote this for Michael Jackson, and Michael Jackson said uh, no. It's a great song. I, it's my second favorite song off that album they just released. But then you know I covered this last week. Michael in the late '80s comes around and says I want you Prince to be the guy singing a duet on Bad with me, and Prince's response was. Wait, the no. first no, the hit, but his response is this. Yeah, the first yeah. line is "Your butt is mine." Either I'm singing that to you, or you're singing that to me. Uh, uh-uh. uh, <laughs> we ain't doing that. So they had this weird uh, standoff. But imagine if the laws were different in the '80s or different today. Like people that have all these, you know, contentious relationships. Imagine like AOC and Nancy Pelosi. They're kind of on the rocks these days. You yeah. Know? Or Donald Trump with uh, Justin Mash or Jeff Flake, and, you know these big politicians. Or Donald Trump and Joe Biden. You know they you know threatened each other. Where Biden said, "I'd take him back take in him high out. school. I'd take him behind the gym and and whoop his ass or something yep. like that." And Trump said, "You know Joe Biden shouldn't be picking fights, but if it were to happen, he'd go down hard and fast." <laughs> but this actually in American history is a real thing, and today is an anniversary. Of, well, actually, it started yesterday, but it moved into today. Let me read the story here. In the early morning of July the eleventh, eighteen o four, Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton departed from Manhattan by separate boats and rode across the Hudson River mm-hmm. to a spot known as the Heights of. Weehawken, New Jersey, a popular dueling ground below the towering cliffs of the New Jersey Palisades. Dueling had been prohibited in both New York and New Jersey, but Hamilton and Burr agreed to take the duel to Weehawken because New Jersey was not as aggressive in prosecuting dueling participants as New York. The same site was used for 18 known duels between 1700 and 1845. They also took steps to give all witnesses plausible deniability in an attempt to shield themselves from prosecution. For example, the pistols were transported to the island in a portmanteau, enabling the rowers to say under oath they had not seen any pistols. They also stood with their backs to the duelists. Burr and a few other people in the rowers, they reached the site at 6.30 a.m., And essentially, here's where all the first-hand accounts go. The duel agreed that two shots were fired, although the seconds disagreed on the intervening time between the shots. It was common for both principals, both participants in the duel, to fire a shot at the ground to exemplify courage, and then the duel could come to an end. Hamilton apparently fired a shot above Burr's head. Burr returned fire and hit Hamilton in the lower abdomen Mm. above the right hip. The large caliber lead ball ricocheted off Hamilton's third or second false rib, that's interesting, Mm -hmm. fracturing it and causing considerable damage to his internal organs, particularly his liver and diaphragm, before lodging in his second or first or second lumbar vertebrae. According to one of the witnesses' accounts, Hamilton collapsed almost immediately, dropping the pistol involuntarily, and Burr moved towards him in a speechless manner. 
So, yeah, today and yesterday is the anniversary of Aaron Burr, the vice president of the United States. Can you imagine? Mike Pence decides to, you know, shoot, like, uh, one of Obama's cabinet secretaries. More likely Dick Cheney. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing that that's part of our history. I love that stuff, though, where it's kind of like, well, we're going to settle this. We're going to settle this in a very serious manner. I get why there are laws against it now, but there's something romantic about it. I actually wish we would go back to that. Right. If you want to run your damn mouth and you want to say something, get out there and back it up, cousin. That would stop a lot of the... uh a lot of the BS back and forth on social media and things like that were at one point, if like if Clay and I got into it, and at one point we had enough, okay, well, let's go meet at the duel. And sure. That would, you know, if one of us showed up and the other didn't, well, it looks like you won the duel, Clay. I didn't show up. And that, that's the end of it. Yeah. Uh, well... I, guess, I think that is a dynamite. I would idea. love, to, yeah, but I mean, the stakes are just so high. Can you really well, you imagine can paintball like, it? Well, I would love to see like Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Just oh, I would love that. Have yeah. a wrestling match celebrity or death match, man. Just bring it on. Yeah, no weapon. No, no. It's no. not a. It's not a street yeah, fight. No. no. Put them in the steel cage match. Mm-hmm. Two people enter. No outside. That's right. Interference. Yeah. That's right. Joey, you know, Hell in a cell. <laughs> Joey, you know that Trump. Live through the Stone Cold Stunner. That's right. That's true. That's true. And if he can survive that, <laughs> I don't think Biden's got anything for him. I don't either. Here, folks, we got to hit a break. We'll be right back. Alongside me this evening, as well as one of the sponsors of the show, Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. Hey, Eddie. Hey, Joey. How you doing, buddy? I want to tell folks about uh, well, what you do a little bit. And I mean, you're a top-notch real estate agent. I tell them all the time, you change your own life, you're helping change other people's lives. But uh, what are some listings you got going on? Well, we've got uh, this week. I've had a couple listings come up, but I'd like to tell people about several listings I've got. Okay. Uh, I've got them. You know, like we've got one in Forest Hills. 3648 Bennett Drive in Forest Hill. Mm-hmm. It's a fabulous house, three bedroom, two bath, 1,350 square feet. It, it's a great house. It's practically moving ready. It's got a couple small little things that could be taken care of. But the price on this house, 75000 bucks. Oh, wow. You can't get a rent. Uh, you know, your house payment and rent would be cheaper to buy a house, take advantage of the taxes, instead of renting a house and giving your money to your landlord. Yeah, that's a fantastic right. deal. And, right and I've got another one even better deal over uh, close to Gunner. It's a thousand. It's called 1008 Kenwood Drive. It's a three-bedroom, one-bath. Uh, again, that house, it's, it's really good for an investor. If somebody wanted to flip it, they certainly could make some money off of it. Or if you want to become like me and be a landlord, you could buy it pretty cheap at about 65000 bucks. put a couple dollars into it, a little bit of paint, and that place would probably run out seven fifty to eight fifty a month. Wow. And uh, in that same area, a friend of ours has a, a bed and breakfast right, or an Airbnb right around the corner. Yeah. That thing stays booked up. I think she started it several months ago, maybe three months ago. She's got probably about a 75% capacity is on it, booking it. Is it because of that location right near the base? I think that has a lot to do with it, but also <clears throat> it's a it's just a good area. In Montgomery. Yeah. It's a nice, quiet neighborhood. It's convenient to everything. It's convenient to Eastbrook. It's convenient to Gunner. You can hop on the interstate if you want and, and get to Prattville. You can get on the boulevard, get to the base. It's just a really good place, man. And okay. uh, we've got several places like that. But then we have another one that's coming on the market. Thanks to my good buddy, Joey. He's got one of his great uh, listeners. 
and we're going to put a place on the market in the waters. It's a two-bedroom, mm. two-bath condo. It's a beautiful place. You get to have all the amenities of the water. And it's going to run about $200,000. Uh, but you get, with that place, man, you get free swimming. You get free sailing lessons. You get fishing. The, the waters, waters is, is a community. I, I mean, almost, community. my parents almost jumped when it was first started yeah. as a development. They almost, like, they had plans drawn up. They were about to do it. I ended up, we stayed in County Downs, but I almost ended up growing up there. Wow. And, and it's a great, I've been out there several times. I love the water. Yeah, it's great. You know, it's a golf cart friendly neighborhood. So several of the kids that go to school drive their golf carts to school. They can drive to the convenience store. There's a restaurant out there. Yeah. It's an all-in-one community. So uh, we, we've got all kinds of options out there. Well, and folks, if you're interested in any of these we've talked about here tonight, or there are many more listings that uh, Eddie has ready to go, or if you're looking to list your house put it out on the market give yep. eddie bader here a call it's 322 0662 eddie bader with the goodson group and eddie i mean it's just the fact that you come and hang out on fridays i'm, I'm liking that this has oh, become like a tradition it's a, it's a regular reoccurring thing. oh yeah i'm enjoying it, it it's a lot of fun like um, i said the only issue i ever have is i forget <clears throat> when i get on the air that i'm a realtor so <laughs> <laughs> we'll be talking good job and yeah well, we're having fun like hey eddie throw a commercial out there oh uh, no uh, <laughs> Three two two zero six six two. Now, I, I some I saw something today that kind of disappoints me. I'm, I've become a big fan of John Favreau just because he's the guy that kicked off the Marvel universe. He's the one who directed Iron Man. Yeah, and everybody thought, oh, this not really known superhero that only a few comic book fans know. You're going to make a hit movie out of it, and they did. And recently, Favreau, I just saw it uh, this past weekend, was in Spider-Man as Happy Hogan. He's great in that movie. But Chef is an incredible movie. I think Favreau did a a terrific job uh, recreating The Jungle Book, uh, kind of a live-action CGI thing, um, where they took the animated Jungle Book movie and made it into a, a bigger film. Coming out very soon is The Lion King, directed by Favreau. Yeah. I heard this. Uh, right. But and here's the thing. It's the critics the only that have seen it. And the critics are panning it. But what I'm reading about it is that, oh, it's, it didn't add anything new to the original. You don't add anything new to the original. If right. it's shot by shot, scene by scene recreation of the original animated film, and it's just now this incredible technology, I don't have a problem with that necessarily. Um, yeah, the critics are, are panning it. The one thing they agree on is it is visually stunning. And a lot of the critics, I, I, some of them, you can tell they're just censorious, like a lot of political partisans. Yeah. They just are looking to be critical. Looking for something to complain about. Um, but it opened huge in China, and it will probably, despite what the critics are saying, I think it's 57% critic consensus on Rotten Tomatoes, which is not a complete Rotten Tomato, but it's not exactly what I'm sure Favreau and Disney were hoping for. But now, that being said, how many movies has the critics gone after and the public loved. Well, plenty. Especially right. like Disney blockbusters. Exactly. Well, and some are saying, oh, it's just a corporate cash grab for the fans to eat up. I'm so tired of this crap. Like, when this, yes, there are corporations that get special deals with the government. But just because a corporation like Disney is successful in giving fans what they want, why is that like this bad thing? Oh, it didn't live up to my artistic standards. It's not meant to. It's meant to entertain people. And hey, by the way, people who were kids that saw the original Disney Lion King, the animated film like me, I don't have children, but if I did, I'd take them to go see this new one. And those kids may not know anything about that original movie. They probably should, but they don't. And this is their first time getting to see this remarkable story, which really is on the level of Shakespeare, the story that's being told. Uh, like coming into your own and being king, what it means to be king and have power and live up to your, your destiny. Clay's sitting over here with a pained look on his face all the time Eddie and I have been talking. What, what's up, Southern I, Well, I mean, I don't know uh, how I exactly feel about it. Uh, I can see improving on something and and putting it out again. Right. I mean, I, I can dig that. I mean, I really can. But I, I, where are the new ideas? Uh, fair enough. I mean, it, it, that's that's the thing. I mean, we had uh, Sydney, my oldest, my eldest mm-hmm. is twenty one years old. We watched Lion King. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a movie. new thing. 
And it, it is. I mean, it's, it's a great movie. I love the movie. I have no issues with the movie. And, uh, but it's 21 years later, and now they're coming out with another Lion King. It's like, come on, guys. Where are your original ideas? Oh, there's no you fresh know, ideas out Come there. up with something else. I mean, you know, uh, 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 Snow White was 21 years before my first child was born. Mm-hmm. And so we had that. And you go through that, and I mean, it's, it's a, I mean, it's it's a good tale, and it, it it's it's yeah. a great movie. Yeah. It, but why? Or I mean, they're just it, it's rehashing like, the same story. It seems like they're recycling the same thing yeah. over but, and over and over again, and they're just changing the I think the visual on it rather partly, than doing something with the story. And, and I, I I see where you're coming from, and, and to a large extent, I agree. And I think partly what they've decided is that a lot of audiences are very... There's so much going on, like we mentioned earlier with music. There's so many options for uh, entertainment on a screen, mm-hmm. whether okay. it's uh, your television at home or the kid's iPad or whatever, or their phone even. And they're worried that if they come out with something like a big original blockbuster, which they've tried, and they fail, they flop yeah. constantly. No, what we'll do is we'll go on the, the good built-up brand credit yep. of something like The Lion King, put it out there, it'll be an instant moneymaker, but it'll also be able to uh, we'll introduce this story to a new generation. Hey, I mean, And I'm with you, though. I like uh, new stories. I, like well, I mean, stories. as far as that goes, I mean, Endgames didn't flop. Right. Endgames was really good. Yeah, I mean, that Avengers was a two-part. I mean, that was a two-part movie. And it was, when we got through with the first one, it was, I cannot wait until the second one comes out. And, I mean, even me as an adult was like, this is really good cinema. You know, I really want to see how this ends up. And and they did a very, very good job with it. And and why do we not have that anymore? Why why do we have to say, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. Eddie, this is what we're going to do. All right, let's do it. We're going to take uh, a Little Mermaid. Yeah, I got it. We're going to make her black and do the same show again. But now she's black, and so now it's, it's different. So, and we're going to make money again? Oh, yeah. All right, yeah we're going to make plenty of money. Yeah, let's, let's, do it. Do it. let's do it. You know, and, and Fair enough. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know why people are getting all ass hurt about Little Mermaid being black. I, 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 I have no clue about that. I mean, like, that as long makes as it's no good, sense to right, me. Right. If it's, well, and this happened with Captain Marvel. Like, when I went and saw Captain Marvel, there was all oh, this and, political back and forth. Whether and dude was a chick. It was like the feminist movie of the year. Or, yeah. Oh, it's the SJ, SJWs taking over Hollywood <laughs> and shoving down their social justice down our throats. And, like, you got the, the right wing and the left wing bitching about this movie. I oh. went and saw the movie. It was a good movie. It was good, wasn't it? And it yeah. didn't really have... It had little moments, but it didn't really have any overt political messages to it. Right. I, I th- this is another example. It's a common theme of this show where people who are so politically minded, they can't enjoy anything in life. Because they're too exactly. busy trying to get triggered. You know, everything is something well, that'll trigger Everything you, is Eddie. through the lens of some sort of ideology. Yeah. Uh, the, I think one term for it is ideological capture. Yeah. Where you can't see the world. You can't see a movie. You can't listen to a song. You can't go to a dinner party without freaking looking through it through your ideological lens. How, how can this offend me? Yes, and it's, it's a terrible, terrible thing. Hey, I can look in the mirror here. I've been in the ideological capture of libertarian ideology where everything I'm trying to think about like politically speaking is or even with art like is this up to libertarian snuff and I had to stop that crap because it was driving you crazy it was driving me crazy I wasn't enjoying my just free time enjoying life enjoying other people's company triggered buddy it's just like my god relax and now what's funny to me is I get a lot of crap from other libertarians, like you're not, you're not supporting the guys. Yeah, you're not, you're, and of course, there's all this infighting that goes on. I mean, libertarians are like the Greek gods. They're just the amount of infighting <laughs> and backstabbing. And my God, if you go to a libertarian party convention, good luck with that. I mean, last time they did one, this dude at one of the presentations, big old rotund dude, you know. Uh, he was pretty pudgy, pretty zofty. Don't be knocking on us rotundas. No, that's fine. But would you, at a political conference, strip down to your speedo and start doing a dance? If there were cash involved, I might do it. <laughs> <laughs>
and no cameras. Just cash, no cameras. Oh man, it's just such a it's such a weird time where politics takes over almost every aspect of our lives and our culture. It's not healthy. And another thing, just while I'm on my soapbox, I'm so freaking tired. I brought this up with Dan earlier today. I'm so freaking tired of everybody wanting to be in politics, wanting to be my champion. Like, we're going to help the middle class. Democrats, big song these days, all of them are singing the same old song and dance, is the economy's doing well only for the wealthy few. So we're going to take away corporate power and give power back to the people. And to an extent, Donald Trump's like, I alone can fix it. I'm your champion, forgotten men and women, the deplorables of the country. This is the nature of politics, sure. But at the end of the day, I really do believe that the urge to save the middle class and yep. all these claims that I'll be your champion is a false front to try to rule the middle class. That's exactly right. If you want to get rid of corporate power, if you want to actually get power back to the people, give us our liberty and let us see what happens. It won't be perfect give us our liberty back. Stop conflating the people with the government. We are not the government. Right. And I'm so tired of these folks saying, oh, you're so put upon. All these other people are so successful. And, and blah, blah, blah. no, leave me alone. Excuse me. Okay. Just had to rant and rave there for a second. No, I mean, that's, that's a good rant because, I mean, that's really where we are. Well, it, it's funny, uh, especially being a military brat, we travel a lot and in a lot of places we went, you know, they weren't 100% pro-American. But they always had a problem with our government. But then when they got to know us, especially our family, there was four or five of us there, they loved us. And they said, we don't understand. You're, you guys are Americans. Now, we are trained to hate Americans because of the policies of your government. But you guys are the nicest people ever. And from us, right. we're like, well, we came to this Muslim country. We were all told that everybody here is crazy. They're going to try to kill you. And for the most part, yeah, most people don't like us, but we're looking at you. We're sharing, you're breaking bread with you, and you're some of the nicest people I ever met. So your governments get blamed, yep. uh, you know, for their actions, and exactly we, the people, end up kind of feeling I've that I've had blame. that experience time and time again. Like, I remember this great night. We're in Tuscaloosa. Uh, it's when I'm in college, and I'm visiting friends in Tuscaloosa, going to the University of Alabama. And uh, above them live two guys from Saudi Arabia studying engineering and they come and knock on our door they're like hey my buddy's getting married tomorrow uh and we want to do a big party y'all can come up to the party it's like yeah and it was great right. they obviously they're saudi they weren't drinking but they like we smoked hookah mm-hmm. we they had all these like saudi dishes actually the dessert was almost like running me a flan but it really? was good and it was just cool sitting and actually having a meal with somebody from a different part of the world yeah. and you would think, if you look at the governments of our countries, I don't trust the Saudi Arabian government, but I don't trust the I'll U.S. Trust government. my own, so that's exactly right. Again, it kind of it's what I keep pointing out with China. What China, the Chinese government is doing, and what the North Korean government is doing, what the Russian government is doing. My God, help us! But it, the people are not their government. You do have people that are they identify with the government. Yep. Fair enough. But I, I think that is not, in the American sense, the right approach. We are not the government. The government is supposed to be something wholly separate from us, the people. We're just supposed to control it every once in a while. We are, at the end of the day, responsible for it. And, and I think that, it, you know, it's, it takes a lot longer, but it's so much more effective, like Eddie was talking about, you were talking about, when you interact personally with one another yeah and it yeah. is i don't care if you got brown skin or black skin or you know gay or straight or, or, or whatever yeah man gay, woman. straight right. man woman when you interact with people it's it's hard it is very hard to meet someone and get to know them and then hate them right. because of their life exactly right it's like uh, when I don't agree with just like Frisco last night. Yeah. I don't agree with his lifestyle. Sure. But he's a damn nice guy. Right. I liked him. I met him. We had a great conversation. Yes. And it's like, I like you. I don't agree with you, but I don't hate you. Right. And yeah. and we it, it's almost like we're trained to hate people that are different than us. And we have to, well, he's not the same as me, so I have to hate this guy. No, you don't have to hate him. Just tolerate him 
and say, you know, I don't like what you're doing, but you've got some great ideas. Let's talk about your great ideas. And we'll just... Yeah, you work on the commonality. That's exactly what you do. Leave the stuff we don't agree on. Put it on the side. Well, and also the true classical liberal, I would say libertarian virtue of tolerance. The idea wasn't oh, we're going to be so tolerant that you must accept our ideas or we're going to call you a bigot, kind of like what's today on the left. Yep. And what it was, though, the idea was be tolerant and be tolerant in the sense of who you trade with that you could have. They showed examples of like in in England where you go to the, the... the market there and there are people of all different faiths and backgrounds and that are trading and getting along with one another making one another richer it's also tolerant in the sense of religion doesn't mean if you're a baptist you have to become a catholic in fact it could mean that if you're a baptist you're sitting there going the catholics are damn wrong and the catholics are saying that back but you allow people that liberty to live their own life and even to to discuss how you're wrong. But as long as they don't force you to do anything and you have a basic tolerance and you understand, oh, I can still trade with this person, I can live peacefully alongside them, might not be a positive piece where your best buddies doing everything together, but it's a negative piece. And there's something to be said for that. It's sort of a, you know, the golden rule is do unto others you have them do unto you. That's more of a positive injunction. Like you see somebody who's sick, help them out, give them medicine. If they're hungry, give them food. But the, there's another way of putting it. Do not unto others as you would have them not do to you, which would be like, don't hurt them. Don't take their stuff. And there's something great to be said for that. And because we're so hell-bent on who's going to be our champion to take over the government to represent us, not only in terms of the government policy we want, but the culture we represent, no wonder we don't have any sense of proportion or the golden rule or tolerance in a liberal, classical liberal libertarian sense. Liberty and commerce and freedom of thought, freedom of religion. It's the best thing going. But one of the best things that happens here in the U.S., it's sad when it happens, whenever we have a natural disaster. You could be on the verge of a racial war. Mm. Let a natural disaster happen, everybody comes together. Yeah. You know, it's just unfortunate within a few weeks of that, your politicians kick back in. They start doing the separation, toe the company line. I cannot stand that. And they draw the divide. Exactly. Between us. Exactly. Instead of us just being people. You put it so much more eloquently than I could. And, Eddie, you wrapped it up. That was perfect. Well, gentlemen, thank thank you uh, for joining me this evening. My pleasure. The the front end of the show was a lot of fun, talking Michael Jackson and Prince and pop stars and music, but got a little serious on the back end here, and I enjoy that, MJ's the best. Just don't forget, Michael Michael Jackson's the goat. Yeah. I'm I'm down with the purple one, the purple Yoda. He's got my vote. (laughs) (laughs) Strong. Be back Monday.